Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Hello there, you are listening to episode 214 of Sexology Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nazanin Moali. This month is a very special month for me. Our podcast reached its fourth anniversary. In my wildest dream, I never thought I would do this on a weekly basis. As of now, I'm doing two shows, one in Farsi and one in English weekly, because I love this work and because of you guys and all of the wonderful support and feedback that you have sent me and shared with me throughout the years to celebrate this milestone stone. We have some cool gifts and giveaway for you. First of all, we teamed up with Promescent, which is a sexual wellness company, and we're giving away around $149 worth of product. There's some really cool kind of female arousal gels included in the bundle. There's some supplement that I've been taking on a daily basis, and it certainly increased your desire. I know I talk about it in, in the previous episodes some a delayed spray, whatever you think that you would want to have, it's in the box. Also, we are giving away two Amazon gift cards for $50 each. To enter for the giveaway, all you need to do is follow us at Sexology Podcast on Instagram, write a review of this show, and DM me a screenshot of it. I will announce the winner in two weeks. This giveaway is open to everyone in US, Canada, and Europe. The only place they cannot ship to is Germany. So in order to enter, make sure you're writing us a review and I'll be so grateful for, to you for doing that. Today we're talking about the impact of hormones in our wellness, specifically the impact of birth control. It's interesting that I read a wonderful book by Dr. Sarah Hill a few months ago, and it was truly an eye-opener for me. In the book, she talks about the impact of taking birth controls in our attraction, in our sexuality, in our sex drive. So I thought it would be wonderful to have her in this show to talk about some of the findings of her research. Dr. Sarah Hill is the forefront of research on the effect of pill on women's psychology. A star psychologist with a PhD from the University of Texas, she's currently a researcher and professor with more than 50 published scientific articles to her name. She recently published a book, as I mentioned, that this is your brain on birth control, the surprising science of women hormones and the love unintended consequences, which has been published in several languages around the world and featured on TV shows like Today and Great Britain This Morning. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Dr. Sarah Hill. Hello and welcome to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I'm so honored and excited to have Dr. Sarah Hill on our show. Sarah, welcome to our show. Hi, thank you for having me. 
I am very excited about this interview. I read your book. It was fascinating and so informative. So I'm very excited to talk about some of the research you've done in this area and some of the recommendations you have for us. So tell us, how did you get interested in kind of exploring this topic? Well, you know, I had spent most of my career studying women's psychology and studying things related to sex and mating um, and even, you know, the influence of hormones on uh, women's social behavior and women's um, sexual motivation. But I really didn't become specifically interested in the birth control pill um, until I went off of it. And I was on the birth control pill for you know, a good part of my 20s and and, and right up into, you know, turning 30. And when I went off of it, I felt like I woke up. So, you know, after being on it for, you know, more than a decade and and being off of it and not being pregnant, because I, I went off it briefly to have my kids and to, to breastfeed and all of that. Um, but I'd never been off of it for like a steady period of time. And it was a, just a couple of months after going off of it that I, I really um, started to notice that I felt differently. I had more energy. I was interested in sex again. I felt more vibrant. I, um, I found myself interested in my physical appearance <laughs> again in a way that I hadn't been in a really long time. And it was just this sort of creeping in of um, these kinds of behaviors that really made me start to get interested in the different psychological effects that the pill has on the brain and on things like motivation and sexual motivation. And that's what brought me to that literature. And I was really surprised by everything that I found. You know, what's fascinating is I, I took the pill for a few months. And what was interesting for me was that I experienced this explosive rage. <laughs> I was like, oh God, this is <laughs> this is not working for me. And you know, I'm a psychologist and I and I need to be in, in a, a kind of regulated space and emotionally to to see clients. So I, I went off of it and I didn't think much about it. I was like, okay, maybe this wasn't a good fit for me. And I it reached I tried other form of contraceptive. And interestingly with clients, I, I hear heard it a lot that they're saying that, you know, I'm on this pill, I'm in a new pill, it's impacting my mood. It wasn't until I read your book that I I truly started considering that this is this is, has an impact. It has impact in our mood. It impacts on our sexual behaviors. And it was kind of clear after you explained it that, that of course, that our hormones impact our behaviors, impact our a way of looking at life. So that, that was very useful because I not necessarily belong to kind of very whole holistic approach. So I always was a little bit skeptical when we're talking about the impact of medication and food and all of that on people's mood and reaction. So tell us, I think the good place to start is to talking about what is in these pills. Um, well, the pills contain, most of them are combination pills and they contain a synthetic progesterone, which is known as a progestin, um, and then a, um, a synthetic estrogen. And there's also different products out there that are progestin only that only have the synthetic progesterone. And the, the reason that progesterone or the progestins are like sort of ubiquitous across all 
forms of hormonal contraceptives is because this is actually what signals to the brain to turn off the hormonal cascade that leads to ovulation. So generally during a natural cycle, so for women who are not on the pill, I mean, who are naturally cycling, what happens once an egg is released at ovulation is that the empty egg follicle starts producing high levels of progesterone. And this is actually the only phase in the cycle and it's known as the luteal phase of the cycle um, when progesterone levels are really high. And this is the period of time where there's an egg that has been released and it's waiting, you know, it's waiting to see if it's going to get inseminated and then implant itself as an embryo. Um, and so during this period, of course, a woman's body isn't going to be investing in developing new egg follicles because it's still waiting to see what's going to happen with that one. I mean, so this, the release of progesterone, in addition to doing all of the things that it does to the body to prepare itself for pregnancy, it also turns off the hypothalamus, which is this part in the brain that signals to the ovaries to start producing eggs. So it's sort of the internal biological cue that tells the ovaries stop releasing, you know, or stop trying to mature egg follicles. And that's why you see that all of these products have synthetic progesterone in them or progestin, um, because that tells the brain to not pr not prompt ovulation. And that's how you prevent pregnancy, of course, is you don't ovulate and therefore, you know, you don't, you don't get pregnant. And the synthetic estrogen that's in many combination products um, is actually mostly just there to offset some of the negative side effects associated with progestins, because progestins tend to make us do things like retain water, they tend to make us moody they make us sleepy, they make us hungry. And so when you, when you pop a little bit of estrogen in there, it usually makes the hormones level out a little bit and it makes women feel a little bit more like they do normally, like, you know, across a, a regular cycle. And so um, that, that, you know, the, the addition of estrogen and products isn't necessarily necessary in terms of the, the it, it facilitates, it helps to reinforce the conceptive or the anti-conceptive properties of birth control pills, but it's not really the money-making ingredient. The money-making ingredient is, uh, is the progestin. And you know, what's interesting that I would imagine even for most people, they think about when they think about birth controls, they think the impact on their reproductive system. We don't necessarily mm -hmm. think about the, its impact in all other organs, but I know you, you talk about how it's impact our entire body. So what are some of the organs that's going to get impacted when people are taking these pills? Um, yeah, it's it's like almost all of them. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like I'm being, it sounds, um, you know, it sounds like, it sounds like hyperbole. I'm like, I know I'm looking for a word that was hyperbole. It sounds like hyperbole, but it, it, it's not. So, you know, hormones, the way that hormones work is they get released into the body and they go into the bloodstream and then they go everywhere in the body that that blood travels and they get picked up by every single cell in the body that has a receptor for the hormone. And when it comes to women's sex hormones, like progesterone and estrogen, um, there are receptors for those hormones on almost all cells in the body. And the reason for this is almost every single one of, of women's sort of bodily systems require some sort of a workaround due to pregnancy. So when pregnancy happens, women's immune systems have to do something different. Women's circulatory systems have to do something different. Women's, you know, hunger and satiety systems have to do something different their sexual desire. I mean, all of these systems have to change what they're doing in response to growing a human being internally. Um, and so they are sensitive to sex hormones. 
And there's no organ in the body that's more sensitive to changes in sex hormones than the brain, because the brain is actually the command center for everything that goes on, not only in terms of our behavior, but also what goes on in our ovaries, because ultimately that signaling starts in the hypothalamus, which is in the brain. You know, there's this idea out there that you take hormonal birth control and it influences your ovaries or, you know, and I've even heard some doctors tell women that like the hormonal IUD or the vaginal ring, because you're putting them in, you know, into by your cervix or into your vagina, that it's, you know, going to act quote unquote locally, like it's just going to hang out. The hormones are just going to hang out down there and somehow magically not get into the bloodstream and not influence every other organ in the body. But it's, it's just virtually, I mean, that's impossible because that's just not what hormones do. Hormones don't act locally. The reason that they're so effective and such powerful transmitters in the body is that they go everywhere. And so, yeah, it, it affects it affects everything. Well, now, now that we know that, it opens up this world of kind of exploring how, how all of our kind of behaviors, motivation, all of those things are connected to our hormones. Because as you mentioned, that even when people are not on uh, on birth controls, our hormones change during different part of our cycle. And I would imagine and those due to those changes, our behaviors, motivation, and things changes. After reading about your research and your book, I started tracking like my mood, motivation, all of that based on my cycle. And I was able to see a pattern and kind of like level of being having different level of abilities in different parts of my cycle. Is that is that normal for people that when they're not even under birth control, they notice the different kind of a characteristics and behaviors in different parts of their cycle? Yeah, no, absolutely. That is um, that is very normal. And, you know, during the first half of the cycle, so days zero to, you know, the time that ovulation occurs, which usually occurs somewhere around like day 12 to 15 or so. During that phase of the cycle, estrogen is the primary or predominant sex hormone. And during that time, you're, you tend to have more energy, you tend to have higher libido, you tend to feel more focused. Uh, research in neuroscience shows that pleasure is more pleasurable. Um, so I actually just got done reading a study showing that women who try to quit smoking, so women who are smokers, and they try to quit smoking during the estrogen dominant phase in their cycle, they have a much harder time quitting than women who start quitting during the luteal phase. Of oh, the that's cycle fascinating. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's because um, it's because you're it, smoking is more pleasurable during the first half of the cycle because estrogen actually makes pleasure more pleasurable. And that's part of the reason that we want sex more. We want to socially engage with other people more you know, sort of motivation-driven behaviors that sort of get at some of our fundamental drives tend to be amplified during that time. And then during the luteal phase, we tend to be a little bit sleepier. We tend to be more relaxed. We tend to be hungrier. And for some women, we tend to be moodier because some women who get PMS, for example, that hormonal message that occurs during the luteal phase when progesterone is dominant can also lead to um, irritability. And so there are real changes that happen that women experience in terms of, you know, not just sort of superficial things like, oh, I feel a little bit, you know, on edge, although that, that can be a very overwhelming feeling 
for some women, um, but also, I mean, just in, in the ways that we approach the world and our ability to remember things and our ability to experience pleasure. Um, all of these things wax and wane with the hormone, hormonal messages that are going on in our bodies. And I'd love that you started tracking your cycle and, and making note of these things because it's, you know, it's not something that we're taught to do as when we're girls, you know, and, and young women. Um, and some of us go our whole lives and have never done that. Um, but once you start doing it, it's really empowering because you really see that there's um, some distinct changes and it also, it makes it easier to sort of plot your life in a way that allows you to capitalize on the things that you need to capitalize at the time you need them. And also to like understand that when you're, if you're in a spot where you don't feel the way that you'd like to feel, knowing that it's temporary and that it's going to pass, um, I think is really, is a really powerful, it's a really powerful tool in terms of well-being and, and yeah, mental health. I love that. And I agree with you that it, you can almost use it as a biohack. Because I can imagine many of our listeners are also can relate that like doing things that are kind of more male dominated or kind of like do go, going to kind of do having jobs that are more kind of like analytic, doing kind of succeeding in life. Sometimes for some people is connected to, okay, I have to suppress my femininity. So like I'm going to, mm-hmm. I'm just going to push through. And many of the research that we have is based on the kind of this scientific kind of bio hacks for men that okay you have to kind of like do this kind of scheduling have this type of productivity but what I discovered after kind of reading your book and reflecting on this you can do so much better if you follow the lead of your body in a sense that kind of scheduling things and different parts of your cycle depending on what you notice. So on the times that you feel more productive, then can, you can do things then. And then the times that you are more kind of a calmer phase, you can kind of invest your energy some in some other place. So it was fascinating and it opened tons of your studies were fascinating and opened the door to tons of different way of looking at things. One of the things that was very interesting for me was it's at the impact of the birth control and sexual desire and how we relate to our sexuality. And I know that's that's the area that you you did research on. So tell us more about that. Yeah. So birth control pill, you know, because it keeps levels of estrogen really low, um, a woman's own levels of estrogen, and then the synthetic hormones that a woman is taking um, has this message of overwhelming progestin dominance. This is something that can really suppress uh, libido and sexual motivation and, you know, and just even like feelings of attraction and like noticing men. Um, And the reason for this is that estrogen, because it's associated with this phase in the cycle when conception is possible, and that is, you know, a woman has the ability to conceive, this, you know, hormone is is also associated with promoting sexual behavior. And the idea is, you know, natural selection, the process of evolution by natural selection, of course, is going to wire our brain in a way that is going to be really, you know, most sexually motivated, most turned on on most thinking about those kinds of relationships at times when pregnancy is possible. Because of course, historically, women for whom that is was true, they would have passed down a greater number of genes than women for whom that was not true. Um, and so we are sort of stuck with this um, evolutionary legacy of sex leading to reproduction. And, and because of this, you know, our sexuality and, and feelings of sexual desire are very much tied into, into levels of estrogen. And so keeping levels of estrogen low 
as you do on the pill, can suppress sexual attraction and sexual desire. And so that's sort of one piece of that puzzle. And the other piece of the puzzle is that the synthetic hormones in the birth control pill, they also increase the release of what's known as sex hormone binding globulins. And these binding globulins actually bind up testosterone. And testosterone, you know, in addition to doing the things that we tend to think about it, you know, in terms of aggression and men and all of these other things, it also plays an important role in sexual desire and sexual functioning for women. And so when you have level, these really high levels of sex hormone binding globulin that you get in women who are on hormonal birth control, um, this tends to mop up a lot of testosterone and makes it unusable which can uh, decrease not only sexual motivation and sexual desire, but also sexual functioning. So it can make things like lubrication more difficult, which can lead to painful intercourse. And of course, you know, and then that in turn then reinforces the idea of not wanting to have sex and, and decreasing sexual motivation. So it can be um, potentially really problematic for some women, um, especially women who are, are really sensitive to their, to their testosterone levels. One sort of interesting aside that comes from this research and all the other research is that, you know, no two women are exactly alike. And for some women, for example, their sexual desire is very much rooted in their levels of testosterone. And for other women, it's not. And, um, and it's all very idiosyncratic. Our sexuality um, and our sexual functioning is a lot more complex than men's. And, um, and, and researchers still don't have the full understanding of the way that all of our, our sexual desire and functioning works. And, and what we do know that for some women having the, your levels of testosterone soaked up or made inactive by, uh, by the binding globulins that are sort of increased in response to the pill can be really damaging to sexual function. Well, that's so ironic that many people go on the pills to be able to have the freedom of not being worried about having sex recreationally, not being worried about getting pregnant. And meanwhile, then being on the pill can impact their libido. Well, one thing that comes to my mind is at times I hear people recommend women with low desire to use, take testosterone. Mm. Is that something, what, what's your thought on that? Well, for some women, it does seem to improve their sexual functioning. Um, and I think that it's one of these things that, you know, for a really long time, science always treated as gold standard, the idea of these big clinical trials, randomly, you know, whatever, placebo-controlled clinical trials, trying the testosterone, not trying the testosterone. Um, and that still is a gold standard in terms of like traditional science and understanding what's going to work and what's not going to work and being able to make recommendations for patients or clients. But I think that the more sophisticated and the more we actually begin to understand the way that the world works, the more we're beginning to appreciate how individual each one of us, us really are and that no two of us work exactly the same way. And the only real way to know whether or not, you know, this is uh, something that's going to work for a woman is going to be to try it. Mm -hmm. For some women, it's really, um, it is very beneficial and they and they do have a decrease in symptomology and improved sexual functioning. But for other women, they don't have that experience. It's incredibly frustrating. You know, I know for so many women, um, they feel, they get exhausted by feeling like they're an experiment. And it's because in a lot of ways they are um, because science doesn't understand women very well. They don't understand our sexual functioning very well. And, um, and, and it's just very, the only thing that is clear is that no, that we don't all seem to respond the same way to the same things. 
And so there is a lot of trial and error that goes into things right now. And one thing that I learned, the more I stayed in the field, that having kind of more flexibility of kind of accepting what works for my client and what doesn't. I remember that I used to be more rigid saying that this is not evidence-based, this is not scientifically based, so therefore it's, it's placebo. But you're right that at mm-hmm. times things for people work for people that are different than that that was found in studies. So I appreciate I know as a researcher that you are you have that openness and inviting us to kind of explore what works for us and what doesn't. I know that in the book you talk about also that it's not like you're against birth control pills. And correct me if I'm wrong. I know you talk about like it uh, it affords us so many great opportunities, the freedom to have sex recreationally, not being worried about various kind of component of kind of like other form of birth controls that that might not fit our lifestyle. But your as 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 your study shows, then perhaps it can have come it has some consequences. So what are your recommendations for women? Are you recommending them to try different types? Are you recommending other forms of contraceptives? I'm recommending that women educate themselves on the effect that, you know, the birth control pill can have on our sexual and psychological and behavioral functioning, and then be able to make the best decision for themselves that, you know, based on their own sort of needs and what's currently available to them. So yes, you're, I mean, you're right. I'm not anti-birth control by any means. Instead, you know, it's like we don't have as women a whole lot of options when it comes to safe, relatively easy to use contraceptive devices. Fortunately, the situation is fueled by the fact that there isn't a lot of um, research that's being done on finding alternatives for us in terms of pregnancy prevention. And pregnancy prevention, as you noted, is an incredibly important women's rights issue. You know, we need to, in order to be financially and economically independent of men, um, we need to be able to protect ourselves from pregnancies that we don't want to have. And for a lot of women, you know, given the sort of limited options that we have, um, the birth control pill seems like the best option. Um, For other women, it's not. You know, it's just really all about um, educating yourself on what are the range of consequences or what are the range of effects that I might experience when I'm on hormonal birth control. So if I do go on it, I can catch myself if I'm not feeling the way that I want to feel. So I can either try a different formulation of hormonal birth control or try something else altogether. Um, Because there are other options. You know, there is a non-hormonal copper IUD that can be used. There's fertility awareness method, which, um, you know, for some women makes a lot of sense. You know, there are, there's barrier methods like condoms. You know, there are other options that are out there. You know, unfortunately, there's not as many there should be. And so really, you know, it's just about all about knowing what the range of effects are, making sure that you're keeping track of how you yourself are feeling. And, you know, I recommend that women keep a journal um, where they're able to sort of monitor this. And especially if there's either switching pills or going on a pill after not being on it or going on or on it and now they're going off of it um, to really monitor themselves over time. So that way they have an objective sort of measure where they can say like, I definitely 
definitely can see that I was feeling worse then than I am now, or I was feeling better then than I am now. Um, and that can be the starting point for some really good conversations with their doctor about trying something else or, or finding another means of birth control. Well, speaking of education, I think your your book is a wonderful first step for women that they would like to learn more about their hormones, about impacts on their brain and body. So I highly recommend uh, our listeners to listen to it or read it. I think it's a valuable resource. So tell us about what, where else can people find you? I know that, that the book is a small part of your work. So tell us more about your research, the contribution, the things that you have going on. Sure. Yeah, of course. Um, so, of course, I did. This is your brain on birth control is the book that you're talking about. And um, I also recommend it. I think it has a lot of good resources in it for women who are seeking to educate themselves, not only about the effects of the birth control pill on the brain, but also just the effects of their sex hormones and the way that they influence the way that they think and feel and experience the world. But uh, I, you can also find me um, on my website. And that is um, Sarah with an H, E-Hill, H-I-L-L dot com. And on there, I have articles. So I've got different posts I've written about different things that are related to women's uh, hormones and psychological functioning. So I've got those links. I've got a link to my research labs. So I have um, a research lab where we study um, relationships and health. Um, and it's usually um, looking at things through terms of women, um, because that's generally been my focus has been trying to better understand women's psychology. And so you can find those resources there. There's also links to my all of my scientific articles that I've published. And there's a lot of them. And of course, I encourage people who are interested in engaging firsthand with research literature to have a look at those. And, uh, and you can also find me on social media. I'm Sarah E. Hill, PhD on all of the different on all of the different platforms excellent so guys if you didn't get a chance to write it down the information will be in the show notes sarah thank you so much for your time this was such a useful and informative conversation and thank you for all of your wonderful contribution to our field and i hope we'll have you in the show in future okay great thank you so much I hope you found our conversation useful. As I shared with you guys during the interview, I started tracking my mood, my productivity, and mental clarity as a different part of my hormonal cycle. And it's been very informative for me to do that. So my invitation for you is to start tracking your cycle and try to schedule things if you have the flexibility based on the time that you feel you will have more emotional readiness to to do those activities you'll get surprised how much your life will be will get easier at the end i wanted to remind you guys that if you're struggling with low desire i wrote this book few months ago on how you can tackle low desire it's a brief reading it's around 40 pages and it's free so if you're curious to learn more about how you can tackle your struggles with low desire. My invitation for you is to download the book today and I'll talk to you guys next week. Thanks for listening to Sexology Podcast. For more great content, visit www.sexologypodcast.com. Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.